Didn't our students do a great job leading us in worship this morning? Let's let them know again. In the month of October, uh, Doug is gone. He's on sabbatical. We gave him a sabbatical for his 10-year anniversary. And so we've, uh, we, we've kind of used this time to highlight a number of different uh, people in our church who are gifted to lead, and I'm grateful for every one of them. Thank you for all of you who have stepped up and led in some capacity in the month of October. As we continue in worship this morning, we're going to start a brand new sermon series in the book of Malachi. But before we jump into that, let me just say briefly, if you're a guest, a newcomer worshiping with us today, we want to draw your attention to these guest cards that are located throughout the sanctuary in the backs of the pews. And we want to encourage you to fill that out, drop it in the offering plate so that after the worship service today, uh, we would have information from you and know that you were here with us. There's another way that you can share that same info with us. If you have the worship guide that you received when you came in this morning, just scan the QR code that's there. It'll take you to a website. It's fbcchickasha.org slash connect. For those who might be joining us online this morning for our stream or on our local radio broadcast as well, fbcchickasha.org slash connect. You can share your information with us so that we can follow up with you and, and connect with you in the days to come. I'm really excited for this series in the book of Malachi because Malachi is an interesting book. Malachi is one of the, what we refer to as the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And so it's actually the very last book of the Old Testament. So if you're going to find Malachi in your Bible this morning, just try to find the division between Old and New Testament. It's not really in the middle of your Bible per se, but, but you'll, you, you'll find that division between Old and New Testament. And the last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. And what's significant about Malachi, any number of things I suppose, but especially is the fact that this is a message to a wandering people, a people who have wandered away from God. In fact, it's a direct message is the way that I want us to think of it. So, you know, one of the things that's, that's really common today is that people communicate through direct messages, right? Uh, if you want to share information with someone and maybe you don't have their, their phone number or their text number, you know, the number to be able to text them, but you're wanting to share a message with them, you'll, you'll direct message them or you'll instant message them, whatever the platform might be, whether you're using, uh, say, Instagram or Twitter or Facebook uh, for the really old people, uh, that's a joke, by the way. Nobody, I, I guess uh, there was like a report in the news this week that Facebook's doing like some major changes in their structuring of their company. And part of what they acknowledged was that increasingly old people use Facebook. And so they're trying to find a younger face for their company. And so if you didn't get the joke, that, that was it, right? But uh, the bottom line is that Direct messages are a great way to communicate with people because you can send them a message, you can find them in some kind of a public profile, and, and you can communicate back and forth that way. I want you to think about the book of Malachi as God's direct message to his people, Israel. See, this is a little bit of the background and the setting of what's taken place here. So we know that uh, there was a certain point in, in the monarchy of Israel where the kingdom was divided between northern and southern tribes, and then there was a, a point in time when each of those kingdoms was conquered. And I'm, I'm screaming through some background and tracing some history here, but the bottom line of it is this, that there was a period of time in which the children of Judah particularly, which is where the city of Jerusalem is, that was the, the, the uh, northern tribe, uh, excuse me, the southern tribe, and, uh, and, and the capital of the, of the kingdom and, and those things, the kingdom of Judah was conquered by the Babylonians. And the people from Judah were carried off, many of their young people carried off into Judean, uh, into Babylonian captivity, and they were 
remained there for a period of about 70 years. And then they returned. Cyrus the Persian issued a decree allowing captives to return to their homeland. And so they did. Many of them returned in waves even. And so we can read in Old Testament books like the book of Ezra, and we read about uh, a a guy named Ezra, and and we read about another man named Zerubbabel, and they returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Then we read in the following book, the book of Nehemiah, of a guy named Nehemiah. And it's during the time of Nehemiah that they began to rebuild the wall that fortified the city of Jerusalem. So the temple was rebuilt, the wall around the city was rebuilt, they began to resume some normalcy of life, and the problem was that as soon as those things were established, the wall and the temple and, 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 and kind of that normal order of things, people fell right back into all of the old ways. All the same sins, all the old ruts, all the things that caused them to, to experience God's discipline and, and captivity in the first place. All the same things, intermarriage with other people of nations around them when God had called them to be a pure race because they were his chosen people. The fact that they worship these false gods and these idols. The fact that they began to, they began to chase after these, the, the, these idols and, and, and incorporate these pagan worship practices into their daily lives. And there were so many things that we could break down. And, and I'm, we're not going to do all of that here in this moment necessarily. But I just want to point out and observe this, this truth. That the people fell right back into the old patterns, the old ways, the old sins, and the result of that was they were experiencing all of the same brokenness, all of the same pain, all of the same consequence that they knew before. And it's in the midst of that that God sends Malachi to be his messenger to the people. In fact, the word Malachi, the name Malachi, literally translates to mean my messenger. And so some Bible scholars have even questioned, well, was Malachi more of a title or was that someone's actual name? And the truth is we don't know for sure. What we do know, and we'll read in just a moment, is that whoever wrote Malachi, which I believe, let me tip my hand, I believe it to be a prophet whose name was Malachi, but not all Bible scholars are convinced of that. But nonetheless, whoever wrote the book of Malachi writes this and says, I am the Lord's messenger, and he has declared this to me. So in total, in the book of Malachi, there are 55 verses. And in the 55 verses in the book of Malachi, 47 of those 55 verses are some form of a direct message, a direct reference where God is speaking to his people. In fact, not only that, you'll find that the book of Malachi itself is arranged around a series of what we'll call oracles, which were just statements or even small self-contained units of thought that God is calling the people to repent. And he's pointing out a number of their sins. These six oracles that make up the structure of the book, by the way, are going to be each of our messages. For the next six weeks, we're going to trace God's message to the children of Israel through his servant, his prophet Malachi. And with each of these, God is calling his people back. He's calling them to repentance. He's calling them out of their sin and away from their wanderings back to a right relationship with him. And so it begins with the passage that we're going to study this morning in Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And the key theme that we're going to see in these verses is about God's love and how God is calling us into a right relationship by reminding us of his great love for us. So let's read together Malachi chapter 1. I know you're looking at your clock and you're thinking, 
Uh, there's no way he's going to do it. There's no way he's going to get us finished and out of here on time. But I will. I promise, okay? Actually, I don't promise because then not, you're going to hold me to that. But uh, I have a plan, okay, uh, for how we're going to do this. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. And here's God's message. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I've laid waste his hill country and led his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will, call the, and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this. And you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Now, you may be reading this and thinking, how is this a demonstration of God's love? He's promising that he's going to be angry with a people forever. He's promising that no matter what they do, he's going to, if, if they rebuild, he's going to tear it down. Well, let's walk through this because there's two key things that we see, two key ways that we see in this text that the love of God is demonstrated. And the first one is this. It's demonstrated by his divine power. God demonstrates his love for his people by his divine power. And so that's what this is a symbol of here, his, his divine power. The whole idea of, the whole idea of uh, the, the Edom rebuilding the walls. Now, the Edom, by the way, the Edomites, Edom was a country, a, a group of people who were descendants of Esau. So if you trace back Israel's heritage all the way back to Jacob, and you'll find that Jacob had a twin brother whose name was Esau. And Jacob was the younger of the twins. And so by birthright, all of his father's things should have been passed to his brother Esau. And yet Jacob deceived his father and he stole his brother's birthright. And God worked even through that, even through Jacob's supposed treachery and manipulation. God works through that to establish his people and, and bring about his plans and his promise. And what we see is that this was God's purpose, that God was working. God was orchestrating. God was ordaining these events. He was working in the midst of what others thought was something that, was, uh, that would have been used for evil, that God was using it for good. Now remember that thought because we're going to come back to that in a minute. But God is working in all of this to raise up his people Israel. And so here are the people Israel who have been carried off into uh, a couple of generations worth, about 70 years worth of captivity and harsh punishment at the hands of the Babylonians. And now they've returned. And after some years of rebuilding, they've begun to fall right back into the old sins, the old ways, the former ways of life. And God is again reminding them that he has power. He has power to do what he once did. And just as he has loved them, he's reminding them that because of my love, I've brought punishment upon you before I can bring punishment upon you again. And he uses here as his example, Edom, the nation Edom, who were rivals who were, who, who were a rival nation to Israel. And what he's saying is that I have power to raise up whom I choose to raise up. And I have power to bring down whom I choose to bring down. The, the Edomites may say, we'll rebuild our city and we'll reestablish it. But God says, but I have power over that. And if I choose to topple their city and to bring ruin upon them, I can. And the reason that Malachi is sharing that word here is because it's meant to be prophetic and it's meant to be also, it's meant to be instructive to Israel that they would hear that and think, well, if God can do that with Edom, 
God can do that with us as well. He has divine power over our lives. The second thing that we see here that's a demonstration of God's love is his determined purpose. His determined purpose. Meaning that God has a plan and a purpose that he will work to bring about no matter how we wonder and no matter how we stray from him. And so we see that in in the story here. The Lord says, I love you. I have loved you. Well, how have you loved us? And then the reply from the Lord. Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. This language is used at several points in the Scripture, both in the Old Testament and even again in the New Testament in the book of Romans. This language of Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And anytime you see that language used in the, in the Bible, it's, it's in reference to the fact that God worked through the circumstance of Jacob's life, through the circumstance with Esau. He worked through that to bring about his ordained purpose. We understand, when you read the scripture, you understand that from from birth, it was God's plan to raise up and establish Jacob as the one through whom he would establish his people and and his covenant relationship with the nation Israel. From birth. And and so then there's the point in in Jacob's life where he meets God at the the river as he's about to enter into the land where his brother was after some years uh, being being gone. And, And he wrestles with the Lord. And that night ends with God changing his name from Jacob to Israel and saying, you have Uh, I've wrestled with God and I've survived. And it was to be a reminder to him that God was at work in all of this. All the things that I did, even the things that I thought were mistakes, even the things that I thought I had had cratered and, and I had crashed and burned, God was at work even in that to bring about his determined purpose in my life. And so we need to see that and we need to understand. That's what this language is about. Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. It's a reminder that God established Jacob, though Jacob wasn't deserving of the the birthright. God established him anyway. And God has the power to bring about his purpose and his plans in our lives when we will trust him, when we will follow him, when we will surrender our ways. And when we do, then too, we will be able to say, as verse 5 says, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. What that means when you hear that, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel, is that God God is powerful over all things. God is sovereign and supreme over all things. God's power is not contained to the, the, the borders of Israel. Even though Israel were his chosen people, even though they were the nation that he had established and he had raised up, God's power is not limited. Don't think that God's power is limited by your circumstance. We even sang a song this morning. I love that line in the song. That you're above my circumstance. All my life is in your hands. Let that be a reminder to you today. That God's power transcends both your successes and your failures. And we need to hear that because sometimes we have a tendency to really rest on our successes and we really rest on the things we've done and we rest in our accomplishments and we think, well, of course God would want me. Of course God would use me. Of course God needs me. And we need to be humbled and reminded that God didn't choose us because of anything that was special or good about us, but he chose us because of his determined purpose. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes in chapter 1 that God didn't choose you because of anything that was good in you. He chose you to confound the wisdom of this world. In other words, God chose you in spite of your failures, really because of your failures, because his plan was to work through you in order to establish his divine purpose, that all the credit and all the praise wouldn't go to you, but it would go to God. And so he's saying here, I've done that with, with your forefathers, with Jacob and Esau, and I'm going to do the same thing with you. 
And so you may be questioning, well, what does Malachi's message have to do with me? Okay, so this is God's message to his people, an ancient people in an ancient time, yes. But though, the, though Malachi's message may be dated in as much as God spoke these words to these people in this setting at this time, it's not out of date, right? Even though God may have spoken these words to them through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we know that this word continues to speak to us today. So that we too might understand God's love at work in our lives through his divine power and his determined purpose. You see, God's divine power is greater than anything that you have done. Greater than any sin you have committed. Greater than any success that you have achieved. Greater than anything in your life. God's divine power is at work and it's there ready to save and able to save us when we turn to him. When we call on him. In fact, in the book of Titus, I I love the way that Titus... uh, shares this with us. In Titus chapter 3, you'll see these uh, words on the screen. Titus chapter 3 and verse 4. Titus writes that when the goodness, rather Paul writes to Titus, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. There's his power. There's his divine power at work. He saved us. And then we see his determined purpose. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. You see, this was God's plan. That he saved us, not because of works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy. By the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. God has saved us according to his plan and his purpose. That he gets glory when he saves sinners. When when we... Turn our lives to him. And so you need to hear this message today, that God has power over all things. His power is great beyond the borders of Israel. His power is great in your life, over over all the things in your life. God has divine, sovereign power. He is able to save when we will turn to him and surrender our lives to him. But not only that, God has a determined purpose in your life. God has a plan and a purpose that is for your good and for his glory when you will lean into him and you will trust him. But much like for Israel, the problem for many of us is that we wander from that plan. We stray from that plan. We turn our hearts and we turn aside from following after the Lord. And much like Much like Judah who had fallen into the same patterns of sin, we tend to fall into the same ruts and the same habits And the same troubles and the same trials and the same things that we wrestle against because we won't truly surrender our lives to him. You need to hear this. God is powerful, but he is not an enabler. He is not going to enable you to continue in your brokenness and your pain. He may bring discipline in your life. He may bring correction. He may bring consequence. And he may use that to lovingly draw you back into a right relationship. Just as he did with Judah. Just as he's done with countless others. He will continue to pursue us when we wonder. And this morning, that's God's message for you. Maybe you're here. And maybe you feel that, that, that reality. I'm just, I'm stuck I'm like like a dog chasing its tail, right? Sort of the proverbial idea. I I keep going around and around in circles. I keep doing the same old things. I keep falling into all the same old patterns, the same old troubles that I've been through before. And the message for you this morning is to look to the love of God. Look to his divine power and his determined purpose for your life. 
that he has both the power to transform you and a plan to establish and sustain you if you will trust in him and follow him by faith. I'm so excited for us to study through this book together and to hear how God is calling us into a right relationship, how God is calling us away from our sin, away from our trials, away from our troubles, and calling us to be surrendered to him. But it begins with this truth. It begins with this truth that God saves those who turn their hearts and their lives to him. That God has the power to save us and transform this. I wonder, has there ever been a moment where you've experienced the saving power of God at work in your life? Has there ever been that moment when you've been transformed by faith in Jesus? Even as we saw a picture of that with the Lord's Supper this morning, his body that was broken, his blood that was spilled for the payment of your sins. Has there ever been that time when you've confessed him as Lord and Savior? You said, God, I I surrender my heart and life to you. I want to give you all that I am, all that I have. And receive by faith his Holy Spirit that we saw in the book of Titus that is given to us, that is poured out on us richly when we trust in Jesus by faith. Today, if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, then even in a moment as we sing this song of response and this time of invitation, I want to encourage you that this would be your moment to surrender your life to him. Brad and I will be standing here at the front, and if God's stirring your heart today and he's leading you to trust in him, then even as we sing that song, I want to encourage you to come. We would love to pray with you to walk you through a prayer of faith that you might surrender your life to Jesus, that you might confess him as Lord and Savior and turn your heart and your life to him. And maybe you've taken that step. And much like the people of Judah, you, you continue to stumble and fall. Then this morning, the answer isn't to wallow in your sin, to wallow in self-pity. The answer is not to wallow in shame. Rather, the answer is to look to God who loves you who has the power to forgive and restore you, who by his grace and his mercy can transform you when you will truly surrender your heart and your life to him. Would you look to Jesus today? Be be reminded of his love for you and his power to transform even as we respond. And so I want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning. And even as we move into this time of response, I want to encourage you you that you would begin by just looking to the Lord this morning by reflecting on and thinking on his love for you, his grace, his mercy, which were extended to you, and that you might might truly call on him this morning, be reminded of his great love as you look to him and call on his name. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so grateful for all that you have done to show us your love, for the many ways that you pursue us when we wonder, and even now, God, our prayer is that you would work in our lives to establish us, to strengthen us, that we might honor you in all that we say and do. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your love.